All Hallows Eve. Um, this is Go From Here, and it's your host, Belle. I am very excited because this is the last episode of October. Um, I'm sad because it's cold in Toronto. It kind of snowed earlier, um, and I'm already accustomed to how cold in Toronto is below 10 when I used to think it was t-shirt weather when I lived in Manitoba um, and Edmonton now that I think about it. Um, so I'm spoiled here because it's below 10 and I'm freezing. But um, it's besides the point. It's Halloween tomorrow. I hope you guys are staying safe with whatever you guys decide to do tomorrow. Um, but still have fun and dress up and, you know, if that's what you guys do. So this last episode is, I don't think it's going to be a very long one either. I hope you guys have liked all the episodes so far. Um, a lot of people have liked the one with me and Kaylee solving the cases. So thank you guys for the ones who've been listening and, and really liking that episode. It was a lot of fun. Kaylee's one of the best people. So I love doing um, episodes with her. And the other episodes um, I've had like good feedback with. So um, I hope you guys like this last one. And then November has a lot of exciting people in my life that I am very honored to feature. I hope you guys are excited for those ones. And then in December, I'm thinking of maybe doing some giveaways and working with some of my friends who are amazing entrepreneurs um, and seeing what I can do for you guys. And uh, mainly my Torontonians, unfortunately, for now at least. Um, but uh, we'll see what the future holds after. 2020 is almost over, guys. It's almost over. I mean, how excited are you? Because I'm elated <laughs> that this year is almost over. I mean, I've learned a lot. I've been taught a lot more. Um, but I'm kind of excited, kind of excited. So to start this episode, um, I wanted to give a quick shout out to the last podcast on the left. These guys, Ben, Kess ben Kissel, Marcus Parks, and Henry Zabrowski. Zabrowski? Um, for you guys who listen to them, let me know. I think they're great guys. They're so funny. They're so funny. And all their episodes are more than almost more than an hour and a half long um, because they go on these amazing tangents. They talk about all these creepy, horrific things and make them funny. So if you guys want to check them out, I'll uh, put a note in the description for this episode. They're called The Last Podcast on the Left. If you guys want to end the rest of your October with some creepy, spooky stories and uh, some really funny guys. This is not an ad, unfortunately for me. But they're really, it's a really good podcast. I love it. Um, and they've accompanied me on many a road trip where I happened to be playing them at night. And it was horrible. But they were good. So um, I hope you guys like this episode. Let me know. Leave comments. Subscribe. Um, and uh, yeah. Thank you guys for listening. So we're starting this episode off with... A short one first. Um, this one is a haunted mansion called the LaLaurie Mansion in New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, this is this mansion is located on Royal Street in the French Quarter. 
So if you guys haven't been to New Orleans, um, go when we're allowed to again because it's amazing. The people are amazing. The food, the food, the food, guys. Um, if you've been listening for a while, I don't know how many times I've mentioned it about myself, but I love, I love food. I love eating. I love fried chicken. I love everything um, about food. Smells, sights, all of it, wonderful. Um, but New Orleans has amazing food. I could not eat a lot of their food because they are big on their crustaceans and seafood, which I'm unfortunately and weirdly enough as an Asian, I'm allergic to. Um, but everything else I could eat went down my, 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 my gullet, my throat, in my mouth. It was a really weird way of phrasing that, but um, anyways, so go to New Orleans. This LaLaurie mansion is there in the French Quarter. Um, the property was purchased in 1832, and it was built as a three-story mansion. Um, this mansion was bought by... Uh, this mansion was actually bought originally by Madame Marie Delphine McCarthy Blank LaLaurie. She was a Louisiana socialite known for hosting ritzy soirees in her lavish French Quarter mansion in New Orleans during the early 19th century. Um, it gained a reputation because she was known as a cruel master behind closed doors um in 1834 a fire broke out at the mansion when area residents rushed to the scene to help they resorted to breaking down the doors to the slave quarters after the lorries refused to provide the key inside they found seven horribly mutilated slaves who had been imprisoned in the house for some time and uh, now the mansion is um, open for ghost tours um, because, I mean, you can imagine all the very angry, very angry people who um, were in that mansion for some time uh, by enslaved by the Lalori family. Um, and then it also, I also have a note here where the, when the public learned of LaLaurie's grotesque secret, a mob stormed the house, prompting her to flee to France. Soon after LaLaurie disappeared from New Orleans, people claimed to hear the phantom screams of her victims spilling from the house in the dead of night. So, super haunted, super ghost filled, super, super awesome uh, city to visit. If not for, all of the ghost stories and spooky things that happen in New Orleans, go for the food, go for the people. I mean, that's also where True Blood was filmed. So do you guys like that show, Vampires? I mean, we all know we went through a vampire phase. Vampire phase. Um, so check it out. I think you guys, I, I don't know if I've ever seen this episode on ghost adventures, but I probably might have. Um, let me know if you go. Let me know if you guys have been to haunted houses and haunted places. And let me know if you guys have had any experiences. I would love to hear that. Love to hear it. Um, so that's the first one that I wanted to share from you guys. And the second one 
is the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast in Fall River, Massachusetts. So I mentioned this in the episode with Kaylee. Um, she had mentioned a YouTuber that she watched that went there um, to visit it. You can actually visit, again, it's a bed and breakfast um, for ghost tours and stuff like that. Um, so let me know if you guys go because I've never been to Massachusetts. Um, I think it would be a lot of fun. And I think this would be one of the places where I definitely walk by. I doubt I'd stop and go inside. Would not have that curiosity at all. I love ghost stories. I love spooky, creepy things. I love Halloween. I love scaring myself silly with horror movies. Could not, would not put myself in a situation where something would touch me and I'd scream bloody murder. Although I have been, I've gone to haunted houses. Castleoma here in Toronto has one of the creepiest haunted events that they have every Halloween. I don't know if they're doing it this year. I've seen ads, but I don't know how that would work with social distancing. Um, so anyways, I've done that. But I don't know if I would actually put myself in a haunted space. Because I know Casaloma has reputation for it. Do you guys know what the stories are? Again, let me know. Because I would like to know and probably never step foot in that again. Um, but uh, I've gone a couple times to their haunted houses and... Uh, always, always heart beating well, well after I've uh, left. So if you guys want to check it out, Casaloma haunted tours or haunted houses events or whatever. Um, so anyways, back to Lizzie Borden's bed and breakfast. So Lizzie Borden, um, this is from the Smithsonian magazine. So I'm, I'm hoping there's a lot of, uh, what is the word? There's a word for it. Anyways, there's a lot of credibility <laughs> to this story um, because it's from the Smithsonian. The last story that I just mentioned about the LaLaurie Mansion was from National Geographic. Um, so I'll link, I'll put the links in the description if you guys are interested in reading it yourselves after. Um, again, tangents, Lizzie Borden, Bread and Breakfast, guys. So Lizzie Borden, she took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. That was apparently a rhyme that people had made up after Lizzie Borden had done this to her parents. So, I mean, she's pretty famous, guys. If you haven't heard of her, I didn't hear of her until I watched a bunch of ghost stories and ghost adventures and stuff like that. But she's um, kind of rage-inducing with just how she got away with everything. Um, I'll probably share how I feel um as we go along this episode so on august 4 1892 the bodies of andrew and abby borden were discovered bludgeoned beyond recognition in their home the prime suspect their youngest daughter lizzie abby received 19 blows with a hatchet while andrew got 10 in the face where he became unrecognizable so now guys which one would you rather have 19 blows with a hatchet. I don't know where. I didn't ask any more questions. But Abby got 19. Andrew only got 10, but it was in the face, guys. So, like, which one would you rather? Um, Andrew Borden was no ordinary citizen. He possessed wealth and standing. He invested in mills, banks, and real estate, but was never showy about his good fortune. The police initially considered the murders a male crime, probably committed by 
quote-unquote, a foreigner. Within a few hours of the murders, police arrested their first suspect, an innocent Portuguese immigrant. On the day of the murders, Lizzie claimed that she came into the house from the barn and discovered her, bother, uh, discovered her father's body. She yelled for the Borden's 26-year-old Irish servant, Bridget, Maggie in quotations, Sullivan. Now, guys, where, he, where, where is she getting Maggie from Bridget? I'm assuming Maggie is a endearing uh, term, but Bridget, maybe, guys, anyone? Uh, so Maggie was resting in her third floor room when this happened. She told, uh, Lizzie told Maggie that she needed a doctor and sent the servant across the street to the family physician's house. He was not at home. So Maggie was told to get a friend down the street. Lizzie never sent the servant to the Irish immigrant doctor who lived right next door. He had, he had an impressive educational background and served as Fall River's city physician. Nor did she seek words today. Nor did she seek the help of the French-Canadian doctor who lived diagonally behind the Bordens. Only a Yankee doc doctor would do. I mean, what's wrong with French-Canadian? I love Montreal. Since Lizzie was a Sunday school teacher at her wealthy Central Congregational Church, she was kept off the suspect list in the beginning. But during interrogation, Lizzie's answer ke answers kept changing and she couldn't even pretend to be sad. Then an, offer then an officer discovered that Lizzie had tried to purchase deadly prusic, or prusic acid, which I looked up. It is hydrocyanic acid or cyanide. So guys, it's poison. If you haven't, if you haven't heard of cyanide before, it's, as I found in the research, is a rapidly acting lethal toxin. It inhibits utilization by the animal at the cellular level, resulting in suffocation. Death often occurs within minutes of exposure. So, she did it. Um, Lizzie had bought the cyanide a day before the murders in a nearby drugstore. Five days after the murders, authorities convened an inquest and Lizzie took the stand each day. The inquest was the only time she testified in court under oath. I mean, why, why the one, why, why one, one time only? Because, guys, I mean, she's obviously lying. I have that in my notes. It says she's a liar. But you've only even questioned her once. Like, why would you only question her once? Um, Lizzie did not have a defense lawyer present, but her family doctor did testify that after the murder, she prescribed, that after the murders, he prescribed her a double dose of morphine to help her sleep from her guilt. Obviously, she couldn't sleep because she's so guilty. Guys, the side effects could account for her confusion or her guilt. Her sister Emma also claimed that they did not harbor any anger toward their stepmother. I mean, sure. Emma was on vacation at the time of the murders, leaving Lizzie and Bridget Sullivan to be the only ones with Abby after Andrew left on his morning business rounds. So Emma is Lizzie's sister. Bridget Sullivan, again, Maggie is the maid. Um, Bridget was outside washing windows when Abby was slaughtered in the second floor guest room. While Andrew Borden was bludgeoned in the first floor sitting room shortly after his return, the servant was resting in their attic room. I mean, it's good placement, guys. Lizzie was arrested on August 11th, 
One week after the murders, the judge sent Lizzie to the county jail. She was in a nine and a half by seven and a half foot cell for the next nine months. So I um, don't know how to describe this to make it feel small, but imagine you maybe doing six, six steps one way uh, vertically, and then I wanna say maybe four steps horizontally. That's her box. Um, her arrest created an uproar that became national. Women's groups rallied to Lizzie's side, especially the Women's Christian Temperance Union and suffragists. I didn't look that up, guys, but it, it sounds funny. I will not <laughs> comment any further. Lizzie's supporters protested that at trial she would not be judged by a jury of her peers because women, as non-voters, did not have the right to serve on juries. Lizzie could afford the best legal representation throughout her ordeal. During the preliminary hearing, one of the Boston's most prominent, one of the most, one of the Boston's? One of Boston's most prominent defense lawyers joined the family attorney to advocate for her innocence. A Harvard chemist reported that he found no blood on two axes and two hatchets that police retrieved from the cellar. Lizzie had turned over to the police two days after the murders, the dress she allegedly wore on the morning of August 4. It had only a minuscule spot of blood on the head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So little blood. So, so little time. Her attorneys stressed that the prosecution offered no murder weapon and pro possessed no bloody clothes, and whoever bought... The Proust, I said this right the first time, didn't I? Prusik acid, or the cyanide, was not Lizzie. They claimed it was misidentification. At the preliminary hearing, Lizzie's defense attorney delivered a rousing closing argument, but the judge did not give a fuck, <laughs> determining she was probably guilty and should remain jailed until a superior court trial. Neither the attorney general, who typically prosecuted capital crimes, nor the district attorney were eager to haul Lizzie into superior court, though both believed in her guilt. There were holes in the police evidence. Alice Russell was Lizzie's close friend and the one who she sent Bridget to summon after the murders. Alice had testified at the inquest preliminary hearing and earlier before the grand jury, but she had left something out. In my notes, it says, AKA, she lied. Liars. These girls. I mean, I get it. You back each other up, but like, this isn't a Bonnie and Clyde or like, till death do you part, guys. That's just not how it works. My notes. Um, on December 1st, Alice returned to the grand jury. She testified that one, the Sunday morning after the murders, Lizzie pulled the dress from a shelf in the pantry closet and proceeded to burn it in the cast iron coal stove. The grand jury indicated, oh, sorry, the grand jury indicted Lizzie the next day. Okay. The attorney general and the district attorney continued to drag their feet, and the attorney general decided to dip. Dip, as in, this is my word, in April. He then chose a district attorney from north of Boston to co-prosecute with Hosea Knowlton, the Bristol County District Attorney. Knowlton believed in Lizzie's guilt. Despite knowing there were long odds against conviction, he tried, he tried, guys, with his five-hour long closing argument. But who said that the girls don't know what they do when they do what they need to 
to get what they want. Okay, I wrote that. Did you guys get it? Thank you. Um, I don't know if that was wordy enough for all of you guys. Uh, but I basically said, I mean, girls know what they do. We know what we do. Lizzie was not a helpless maiden. She only needed to present herself as one. Her lawyers told her to dress in black. She appeared in court tightly corseted, dressed in flowing clothes and holding a bouquet of flowers in one hand and a fan in other. In big capital letters, I wrote, what are you doing? I mean, can we please just the system? And because Lizzie's dad was super rich, he could afford the best legal team to defend her, including a former Massachusetts governor who had appointed one of the three justices who would preside over the case. Fall River was excluded from the jury pool and so quickly decided to quit her. They waited an hour to make it seem like they didn't just decide to make it end. Lizzie and Emma moved in together on the hill, but Lizzie was the town's leper. She died in 1927 and was buried next to her father. So, boys and girls. It was Lizzie. I mean, what more can I say? It was obviously Lizzie Borden. Her friend Alice covered up for her. Emma was just in complete denial and Maggie over here was just like, I heard everything because I wasn't really sleeping and I don't want to say anything because uh, this family is incredibly rich and she'll probably kill me too. So <laughs> those were the stories for this episode. This is the end of Spooktober. Thank you guys for listening so much to all of the October episodes. I hope you guys like them. Let me know. Let me know what you guys do for Halloween because we're not doing anything here in Toronto because guess what? Our cases are going up and it's wonderful and I'm going to stop talking about COVID because it's depressing and it's getting darker and sad is kicking in. Um, but again, you guys are the best. I love you guys. See you in November. Bye.